0: This is about the simplicity, but the power and the profundity of God's ways. I just had a wonderful conversation with our brother Frank back there, and what were we discussing? God's ways. God's ways. And how loyal He is to us. How loyal He is to us. Do we not want a God who's more loyal to us than we are to Him? We better... He is more loyal to us than we are to Him. Just like that good shepherd who went out and brought home that hundredth lamb. You know, there are a lot of shepherds that would have just said, I'm done with that one. I'm done with that one. But He didn't. And He brings us home on His shoulders rejoicing time after time after time after time because He, can I say this? He loves us more and certainly with greater wisdom than we love ourselves. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him, God, a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. The issue, as we walk, as very, very, very vulnerable creatures, we are sheep, we are lambs, walking through a very hostile world, surrounded by lions and wolves and other predators, which are really just symbolic of Lucifer. That mighty angel. If you read Ezekiel 28, you read the story of Lucifer's fall. Lucifer was at the top of the angelic pyramid. He was the angelic prime minister in heaven. He was so beautiful. You read the physical description of him. He was glorious in the colors that he reflected. His voice was like a pipe organ. And he got lifted up by his own beauty. He got lifted up by the sound of his own voice and decided that he needed, he, he actually righteously deserved the glory, the praise, the worship that went to the, his creator. And he rose in rebellion against God. And one-third of the angels, uh, whose number we can't even count that high, joined him. They got cast down to the earth, to the garden of God, it says in Ezekiel. And that paradise that had been an angelic resort was turned into a ball of dirt covered with water covered with darkness and that's why it says in Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was a ruin and a desolation and God said and God said and God said and and God restored that ruined resort planet into a paradise again and gave it to us creatures made from the dust and we have been walking even there in that garden before the fall there's hostility for here comes the serpent lucifer in the guise of a serpent and there was nothing harmful in the life experience of Adam and Eve. And here comes this serpent. Serpents were not harmful. They were just glorious. And look at the beauty of the the light reflecting off of their skin. And listen to the sound of that voice, the serpent speaking. Now, we would freak out, but Adam and Eve were just a couple days old. They didn't know that wasn't normal. And the serpent enticed them to disobey God. And we have been living in that hostile environment ever since. Hostility around us but also within us because we shared in Adam's rebellion against God. And our we died to God. Our relationship with God was broken in Adam. And he, we became caught up in our own self-worship that's the fallen nature that from genesis to revelation the human race is struggling with we have hostility outside and inside the apostle john has already addressed the inside hostility with and god's answer to that is the indwelling of the holy spirit we take a public stand for christ and we are, in, and at the same time that we come to faith in Christ, God the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. Our fallen nature, nature does not depart. But we now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who is stronger than, stronger than our fallen nature so that we can walk in the Spirit, who, by the way, is the author of this book. He's not just a presence. He's not just a power. He is a wise counselor who speaks to us through His Word. And shepherds our way in that way. Jesus is the shepherd and so is the Holy Spirit, whom he sent to be our strength. We find these words in chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. What is the number one message of God the Holy Spirit to the human race, to this fallen world? My Jesus of Nazareth is God the Son, become flesh, become that promised anointed Son of David. When you embraced that message, it was an act of God. Left to yourself, you would have run the other direction, but you weren't left to yourself. You were born of God. What does Jesus, and by the way, as I've mentioned earlier in this series... John the Apostle assumes on the part of his readers, they've already read his gospel. He is assuming that. Where does he talk about, where do we find in the scripture that whole concept of the new birth? The gospel of John, chapter 3, Nicodemus, you must be born again. What? I'm supposed to crawl back in my mother's womb and be one. No, 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 no. That word that Nicodemus had heard can mean again. It can also mean from above, and Jesus actually corrects him. No, no, I don't mean born again. I mean born from above. Just as the, the Holy Spirit comes down and he gives you birth. This is a man who had every religious credential the Jewish nation could look for. Jesus even calls him, that passage, the rabbi of Israel. You must be born from above. And so it is. Everyone who is in the kingdom, just like in Nicodemus, God took the initiative. God took the initiative and gave you understanding. You may have heard the gospel a hundred times. And then the 101st time you heard it, you... Oh... I really need that. I think I will embrace that. What's actually happened is you got embraced first. And you got swept up in his arms, and you came alive. Just like that newborn baby (sighs) takes its first breath. Takes its first breath. And so it was with us. God was the aggressive one who sought us out. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that promised one from God, is born of God. Because if you're not born of God, you will refuse, no matter what the evidence is, no matter what the evidence is, you will refuse to believe it. People do not reject God because they don't have enough evidence. They reject God because they are sinful, rebellious people, period. Period. Look at Jesus' own brothers. Were they lacking evidence? No, but they mocked. It's in John's Gospel. Them mocking, in Matthew's Gospel, them mocking Jesus. Well, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you go down to Jerusalem? We're about to go to the feast. Why don't you go? No, you go. I'll go later. It wasn't until after His resurrection that they came to faith. Were they lacking evidence? Evidence? They probably had more evidence than any human beings ever had before or since. It was their fallen, rebellious hearts that had to be mended and made alive. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is born of God, and everyone who loves Him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him, loves his fellow believers. What? Oh, wait. Loving God. Okay, that makes all kinds of sense. Look at all the wonderful things he did for me. But I got to love these people that... And by the way, love means not just have an affection. It means serve them, wash their feet, go out of your way. Upon finding a need that they have, going out of your way to minister to, serve that need at cost to yourself, just like Jesus served us at great cost to himself. Whoever loves God who begot also loves others who have been begotten of him. Okay, Lord. Read along. By this we know that we love the children of God. What's the acid test for my real love for the, my fellow believers, the children of God? When we love God and keep His commandments. If I love, I can't love my neighbor, I can't love my brother, I can't love my fellow believer if I don't first love God... And number two, keep his commandments. The summary of John's gospel and this letter is found back in chapter 3, verse 23. Let me read it to you again. And this is his his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. Folks, that's John chapters 1 through 12. The whole point of John chapters 1 through 12 is do you believe in the Son? Do you believe in the Son? Do you believe in the Son? And Jesus is presenting the gospel uh, time and time and time again, and then in chapters 13 through 17, the principal command is love one another. A new commandment, Jesus says in the upper room, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Wait a minute. The Old Testament says, that the Ten Commandments says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's not new. Ah, yes, it is. As I have loved you. <clears throat> he just raised the bar. He just raised the bar. As I have loved you, that you love one another. That's what makes it a new commandment. That simple 1 John 3.23 is a summary of the, of the gospel of John. All that follows chapter 17 is the narrative, historic narrative of Jesus Arrest, trial, crucifixion, and resurrection that creates the historic narrative that enables those first 17 chapters. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and what do we pray for? Lord, what do we struggle with? Lord, I haven't been in your word enough. Lord, we we see ourselves falling, failing constantly, and yet what does John say? It's not burdensome. Oh, believe me, reader, John is saying, it is not nearly as heavy a burden as if you are doing it God's way. Let me read you a statement from the Lord Jesus. This is Matthew 11. Come to me all you who are who labor and are heavy laden. Do I feel like I've been laboring? Do I feel like I've been carrying a burden? Believe me, a walk through this hostile world, even done in all of the fullness of God's provision, is a difficult trek. Come to me, all you who labor and are carrying a heavy burden. And picture here a donkey with a heavy burden that is so heavy you can barely walk. Or a camel, the same thing. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That doesn't sound like it's very much fun. And the readers... (laughs) the people Jesus spoke those words to, they've seen seen oxen in yokes. It's not something you would want to do yourself. That's why you make the oxen do it. What's Jesus saying? Well, when they trained an ox, ox don't naturally submit to and kindly do the wonderful things that their owners want them to do. They have to be trained. They have to be made willing. How did they train an untrained ox? They have a yoke, a place for two oxen to pull the burden. They have a trained ox in one half. They put the untrained ox in the other half. And so, once they're both in the yoke, they get them pulling the burden. And by the way, they've got this stick called a goad. And so if the untrained ox decides to rebel, and they get it, and if he starts to kick, you just hold that pointed stick down, and he's kicking that pointed stick. Well, that's not very pleasant. But what trains the untrained ox is the trained ox. Because if the untrained ox is pulling back, he's hurting his neck. If he's going too fast forward, he's hurting his neck. That yoke, if you're not in step with your neighboring ox, it hurts. If you're going too fast or too slow. And so what does the untrained ox have to do to stop the pain? He has to learn how to match the pace of the trained ox. Ah. <sighs> I'm in a yoke, but it's a whole lot easier than when I didn't do what I was supposed to be doing. If I'm in step with my fellow ox, we can get this done. And by the way, who supplies all the power for both himself and for you? Jesus, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because I'm the one really doing all the work. We're not in the yoke with an ox that is of equal power. And wisdom. We're in the yoke with with someone who knows what he's doing and has all the strength in of heaven and earth. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek. I, Jesus, will take the time it takes. And this is the conversation I was having earlier with Frank. We were witnessing to one another, testifying to one another, of the patience of Jesus in working with us, in discipling us. The principal discipler in your life is Jesus himself. And you learn as you're in his word and on a daily basis experiencing how his word works into your life as he is animating it for you you learn to walk with him and you find out these situations that may have terrified you you can walk through these situations the very things that we prayed we can physical illness so-called accidents there aren't accidents. there are incidents but there aren't accidents in God's kingdom Everything is of Him for the advancement of His glory. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Left to ourselves, they certainly are, but we're not left to ourselves. He carries the burden as we walk with Him in the yoke for whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith we are in a hostile environment satan and his minions are attacking us and the human minions as well as the angelic there is opposition we're in a hostile world the whole culture that we're in has to be is not of God <coughs> We are working in this difficult environment, and yet he walks us through it. He is greater than. He is greater than. And the number one thing that makes this world hostile is they don't want to hear the gospel message. They don't want to hear the simple statement, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. What are we seeing with all of these riots that are happening right now in this nation? What are the, the Christians in India experiencing? The Christians in Nepal, the Christians in China? They are a, they are a threat to the world system. That environment in which they are operating Because Jesus is within them saying the truth. The world system, whether it's manifested demonically or humanly, is all about lies. And not giving glory to the true and living glorious God. But as those who have been born from above, what are we doing if we're allowing ourselves to be energized and in yoke with Jesus, we are voicing the truth, and the world hates it. They're going to come back, and their response is going to blow up in their face. What advances the gospel faster than anything when Christians don't back It's when Christians don't back down. That those who are in this world, that God is shepherding towards his kingdom, look at that. Well, if I was threatened in that way, I'd be backing down. Why is this fellow, why is this woman not backing down? Because they know the truth and they have the strength of God to withstand and walk through this hostile environment. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The fact that we stand in the midst of this hostile environment and we don't back down. We keep trusting God in the face of the opposition. He who Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes, who trusts. I like trust much better than believe. Because it's not just an intellectual acknowledgement. It is a day-to-day, moment-to-moment, word-to-word, sentence-to-sentence trust. But he who trusts that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's not just a remote Son of God who's up there in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father twiddling his thumbs. No, he is the Son of God exercising his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel and I will be with you. Is Jesus with me? Yes. He is with me. Exercising his authority. All authority in heaven. Wait a minute. Doesn't Satan have it? What's Jesus saying? <laughs> Everything that Satan... Did you know... You know <clears throat> that same Nero that commanded the crucifixion of Peter. That same Nero that commanded the beheading of Paul. Where did the breath come from whereby he voiced those commands? From God. The scripture literally says, I hold the breath of every human being in my hand. All God had to do to stop Nero was squeeze his hand. Nero's done. But God was making a testimony for himself even through the mode of death of the apostles. They were witnesses, martyrs. That's what the word martyr means, witness. This is he, Jesus, the Son of God, who came by water and blood. What was the first event of Jesus' public ministry? His baptism at the hand of John the Baptist. And notice in the narrative, when Jesus comes to John the Baptist and says, I I need to be baptized by you, and John the Baptist says, Whoa, 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 I, I need to be baptized by you. I'm your herald. You're the king. You're the one who actually has the door of entrance to the kingdom. I need to be baptized. Just let it happen, John. Just do this. And, of course, when Jesus was baptized, what did John say that he witnessed? And John's disciples were there, I would dare say, witnessing it too. As Jesus came up out of the water, they saw the Holy Spirit descend in the form of a dove upon him. That's when Jesus became the anointed of God. The Holy Spirit came upon him. Not just anointed means Messiah, Christ means anointed. They didn't just put oil on his head. No, it was the actual person whom the oil was a representation of. The Holy Spirit came down upon him in the form of a dove and lighted upon him. There was a voice from heaven, God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And a couple of those witnesses, John's Gospel again, the Apostle John, they were disciples of John the Baptist, John, John the Apostle, and Andrew. And as Jesus kept going, having they they these two fellows of John's disciples heard John the Baptist say that, as Jesus kept going, and these two fellows started following Jesus. And as they followed Jesus, he turned to them and said, uh, Where are you fellows going? And they said, wherever you're going, that's where we're going. (laughs) And they went with him for the rest of their lives. This is he who came by water and blood. What was the last public event before the world of Jesus' public ministry, his crucifixion? He came by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness and we hear that message. You, my readers, John is saying, have heard that message. What animated that message? What gave that message life? What gave that, you the uh, ability to embrace that message? The Spirit of truth bore witness to you, and you knew it was true, and he gave you the ability to respond to it. Lots of people hear it. Understand it, but don't allow the message to find a place in them. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth. The Spirit, who is the one who enables us to be embraced by the gospel and to embrace the gospel back. And the water and the blood, that is, that public testimony about Jesus. What is the witness to me? Well, go back and read my gospel, John says. And these three are one. They agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God, Is greater by the way the Roman world that John is living in and these people even looking back if you have ever studied gotten the privilege of studying Western civilization the contribution of the Roman world to the rest of the world was law law they set in place a legal system That gave now. If Nero's your judge, all bets are off. But they 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 put in place a legal system that was designed to be fair, and it's the legal system of the United States, Western Europe, and so forth rises from that Roman contribution. And so if we receive the witness, the witness of God is great. The witness of men, the witness of God is greater. And so the whole Roman legal system is based on, by the way, go back to the book of Leviticus too, uh, who's the inventor of true righteousness, God. In the book of Leviticus, for example, if there is a criminal act that takes place, before they would inflict a punishment on the accused, there had to be at least two witness. It couldn't be one person's word against another. It had to be at least two, better to have three witnesses all testifying the same way against the accused. If you don't have at least two, it it can't just be one person's word against another. So, Romans didn't invent it, but the Romans put it in place. And that is exactly what the Apostle John is pointing to. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he testified of his Son. The Spirit who enables us to be embraced and to embrace back the gospel, and the water and the blood. We have the narrative. He who believes in the Son of God, has the witness in himself. And as I suggested a few minutes ago, you may have heard the gospel over and over and over and over, and it just bounced off of you, went by you, just, yeah, well, whatever. And then there came that day when, bang, oh, wow. I must embrace and be embraced back by this message, by this God of whom this message speaks. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. And how many testimonies can you hear of people when they came to faith in Christ? They knew they weren't the same person. They were not the same person. They knew they had a vital relationship with God. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. They've heard the gospel over and over and over again and turned their back on it. They're essentially saying God's a liar, God's a liar, God's a liar. That's not going to work out very well on the, at the great white throne when every human being who has not entrusted themselves to Christ will stand and be judged according to their works. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And I hear, you know, I see all the time on the Internet, these uh, encounters, these uh, ministries, Uh, Ray Comfort, for example, where he's talking to atheists. And and when somebody says, oh, I'm an atheist, get out of here. No, you're not. What does it say in Romans chapter 1? They suppress the truth. They know what's true. They know there's a true and living God to whom they're going to have to answer. They just don't like it, so they pretend it's not true. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest to them. But because they are immoral people, it's really not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's a moral problem. They don't want to let go of their immorality. That's the issue, not intellectual. So, when I hear somebody say, Oh, I'm an atheist, (laughs) stop it. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He's given us an eternal, welcoming relationship with Him, and this life is in His Son. It is by means of what His Son accomplished for us, it's a pure gift. He who has the Son has life. It's simple. If you have humbly said, God, give me all the benefits that can come to me because I'm transferring my trust from my own works to the, what your Son accomplished for me on the cross, He's 100% of the time says, Sure, good, yes. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God, I don't care what his religious credentials are, her religious credentials are, they don't have life. They are dead in trespasses and sins. They will bear the guilt, the punishment for their guilt. Why? Because they refuse the mercy and grace of God. God already poured out all of the hell all of an eternity in the lake of fire due to the entire human race. He poured that out on his son on the cross so that he has perfect freedom to forgive us. And if I choose to reject that, then I'm asking to get what I deserve. And this God cannot be unjust. Justice will find you. These things I have written to you, who believed in the name of the Son of God. You heard the testimony, you heard the gospel, the name, the reputation of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know it. There's no uncertainty here that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. What is the Christian life? The same step that you took into the kingdom by believing the gospel truth of what the Son of God accomplished for you is the same method or mode by which you Walk through the kingdom. I believe His promises. The initial promise, I believe, is His promise to me that He is my Redeemer. Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives. And shall stand on the earth. I've trusted in that. But I also trust the other hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of the promises of God. He is present with me to sustain me. And that's what eternal life is looks like. We walk through this hostile world, trusting in Jesus' self-declarations and promises, and we are walking in the reality of what eternal relationship with God looks like. I will be with you. And people can look at us and say, I knew that guy, Mark and he is acting in, in a way and saying words today that the guy that I know never would have said, he never would have done those things. What in the world has happened to him? That's what's supposed to happen. And that is the basic way in which we reach into the world is when we start replicating Jesus by his power, by his shepherding, by his wisdom becoming our wisdom, and we're walking in his wisdom, and the world says, that's not the Jason I knew. That's not the Darren I knew. That's not the Courtney. That's not the... What do they know? What have they trusted that I don't know and haven't trusted? And God does a mighty work in them through us, his his instruments. And all God's people said, Amen. Our Lord, we just say that Amen early. (laughs) We thank you for the privilege of not just being welcomed into your kingdom, but you also have picked us up and said, I am going to use you as an instrument for my glory and so powerful that it is going to have eternal outcomes in the lives of other people. We're asking for each one of us here that this week, You will give us opportunity to actually be an instrument in your hand. To be a testimony of you to the minds, hearts of other people. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to invite you to... Stand, and we'll close with the simple chorus of "Jesus paid it all." Jesus paid it all.